This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From about 15 years on up, a great deal of my thoughts were basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and I am the host and the creator of at serial underscore killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. I want to give a special thanks to some of my patrons, of course. Emily, Gabrielle, two Emmas, Galen, Cassandra, David, John, and my girl Judy. Thank you so much. This podcast is going to be on Bobby Joe Long. A great deal of my source material actually came from True Crime and Cannibalism blog, so I'll try to remember to leave the link down below. Robert Joseph Long was born on October 14, 1953, in Canova, West Virginia. So let's take a look at what was going on in the world at that time. This is the year that Queen Elizabeth was officially crowned the Queen of England after her father had died. King George VI had died from coronary thrombosis the year before. And she is still the reigning queen today. Also this year, President Eisenhower informed China that he would not be afraid to use nuclear weapons or invade China in order to end the Korean War. North Korea decided to allow voluntary repatriation. The Soviet Union announced that it had tested its own hydrogen bomb called the Layer Cake Bomb, which was smaller and more portable compared to what the United States had tested the year before. And Joseph Stalin, who was the leader of the Soviet Union, also died this year. He had been in power since 1924. Also this year, Jonas Salk, who had been working with his team at the University of Pittsburgh on a polio vaccine, vaccinated himself and his family with field trials to over 1.3 million children the next year. It was also this year that Cambodia gained its independence from France. British physicist Francis Crick and American biologist James Watson discovered the double helix structure of human DNA this year. The Federal Bureau of Investigation rounded up communist leaders who were advocating overthrowing the government. 
The U.S. Supreme Court gave power to enforce right-to-work laws. In France, four million workers went on a massive strike. The North Sea flood of this year killed nearly 1,900 people in the southwestern Netherlands. An earthquake occurred in Turkey that killed about 250 people. Now, some of the popular movies this year were War of the Worlds and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes with Marilyn Monroe. Also born this year were Tim Allen and Pierce Brosnan. So this was the atmosphere that Bobby was born into. Now, Bobby's parents were Joe and Luella Long. And right out of the gate, I have to say that it was remarked in several sources and documentaries that his mother was a stunningly beautiful woman. Now, Joe and Luella did divorce before Bobby was two years old, and Luella promptly moved herself and her son from West Virginia to Tampa, Florida. When they first arrived, they reportedly moved around quite a bit, staying with relatives or living in single rented rooms. And of course, his mother had to work and most often more than one job. So this meant that Bobby would have to be left with whoever could babysit him and sources say that was most often her landlord's family. And now, folks, we all know when it comes to children, accidents happen. I mean, we all know this, right? But Bobby seemed to be inordinately prone. When he was just four years old, he was playing at the ocean at the beach with his mother, who was probably not supervising him as most mothers would, instead supposedly keeping her eye on a man. It was at this point that Bobby was pulled under the water by a wave and he nearly drowned. The next year, he was swinging on a swing set when he fell off and was knocked unconscious, suffered a head injury, and his eyelid had been pierced with a stick. At just six years old, he was thrown from his bicycle into a parked car, suffering a severe concussion as well as knocking out several of his teeth. And this would not be the last accident. Also, during his early childhood, due to their financial circumstances, of course, Bobby and his mother had to share sleeping quarters and a bed. Now, many sources say that his mother would, let's say, entertain various gentlemen callers while he was there, which he resented very much. And side note, I remember that resentment vividly. But Luella would later deny that she did anything like that. That, in fact, some said that she was overprotective to the point that she had a certain flair for the dramatic. She would also, on occasion, take trips back to West Virginia to visit family. And she and Bobby's father would, you know, try to work things out and get back together. But it never worked. And in 1959, six-year-old Bobby began first grade, but it was very clear that he was struggling and he failed. At that time, it wasn't really well known, but he had ADHD or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. At age seven, he was riding a pony when he fell off, 
landing on his head and he complained of feeling dizzy and nauseous for weeks later. So, of course, needless to say, his behavior began to decline at school and he often got into physical altercations with classmates as well as family members. And his mother was kind of stuck as a single parent, again, taking jobs that weren't ideal, such as working in a bar where she would wear the kinds of clothing that, say, back in the late 50s and early 60s would have been looked upon as scandalous. And as much as any grown-up has the right to dress however they want to, it was very embarrassing to Bobby. In 1961, eight-year-old Bobby was hit by a car, his face hitting the bumper, and he was knocked unconscious. He was in the hospital for a couple of days. At nine years old, he was climbing a fence and fell, requiring stitches into the left side of his head. At 10 years old, when he was in the fourth grade, he was bullied by the other students due to his deformed jaw and teeth missing from the substantial cranial injuries that he had sustained already in his young life. This, on top of his disapproval of Luella's string of boyfriends and scant clothing, he began to truly hate women and began being verbally abusive toward his mother. Then just about the time he was beginning puberty, he noticed that his body was developing differently. He was starting to grow breasts. He was taken in for testing and it was determined that he had Kleinfelter syndrome. So what's that? Kleinfelter syndrome, according to the Mayo Clinic, is a genetic condition that results when a boy is born with an extra copy of the X chromosome. The X chromosome, of course, is inherited from the mother in biologically male children. Now, there's a whole science to this, and there's actually like a violence gene inherited through only the X chromosome, meaning only the mother. And if you want me to, I can do a whole podcast on the science behind that. Let me know in the comments below or DM me, email me. I'm very easy to get a hold of. But this genetic condition affects males, and it is most often not diagnosed until puberty or even adulthood. It can adversely affect testicular growth, resulting in smaller than normal testicles, which then can lead to lower production of testosterone. It can also cause a reduction in muscle mass, lower than average body and facial hair, as well as, like we said, enlarged breast tissue. But it is important to note that the effects of Kleinfelter syndrome vary and not everyone has the exact same signs and symptoms and the severity is widely different. So most men with this syndrome produce little to no sperm, but there are procedures that can be done to assist in reproduction. Some of the signs and symptoms of this syndrome in babies include weak muscles, slow motor development, or delay in speech. As they grow into boys and teenagers, they are often taller than average, have longer legs and shorter torsos and possibly broader hips than the other boys. Now, puberty itself might be delayed, incomplete, or even absent entirely, and it can even affect overall penis size. They might have weaker bones, low energy levels, learning difficulties, and again, enlarged breasts. 
social, emotional, and behavioral problems, along with low self-esteem, emotional immaturity, and impulsiveness are also an issue. And then as they grow into men, they can experience low to no sperm count, low sex drive, on top of the signs already experienced. Now, it is most important to note that the risk of Klinefelter syndrome is not increased by anything that a parent has done. It is a random genetic event. Older mothers run a slightly higher risk, but not a lot. So, Bobby underwent surgery, actually multiple surgeries, and when it was all said and done and the breast tissue was removed, this also affected his self-esteem. One of the kids that Bobby grew up with said that when the neighbor kids would get together and go swimming, Bobby would refuse to take his shirt off, and that was a rule that he kept strictly throughout his life. And realistically, I don't think anyone would judge him for that. So when he was 13 years old, he had met a girl named Cynthia. They began dating, as you would call it, for that age, and it was at this point that Bobby finally stopped sleeping in the same bed as his mother. But after having a girlfriend and finally not co-sleeping with his mother, his anger did not wane. It was also at this age that he shot their family dog in her genital region and killed her. When asked why he did this, his response was that he was angry with his mother for feeding the dog this special cut of beef and all he got was a hamburger. But Bobby did finally confide in Cynthia and told her of his hatred for his mother for embarrassing him with her choice of wardrobe and ever-rotating company of men. Cynthia of course felt sympathy for him and the two were very close. At 14 years old, he had his first sexual experience with Cynthia, and they remained a couple all throughout their teen years. When Bobby was 15 years old, he was actually accused of stealing a friend's car, but the charges were apparently dropped. Two years later, he was arrested for being in possession of stolen property, though I don't know what the outcome was of this one. Now, he dropped out of school his sophomore year. He then re-enrolled and then dropped out again, and he got a part-time job as an electrician's assistant. He rarely had any dealing with his mother at this point, and when they were around each other, it is said that he began being pretty violent toward her. And, you know, that's really as much as I could find about his childhood, which is actually a lot more than I usually can find, so there's a lot here to unpack. Let's get started. Bobby Joe Long was, of course, a child of divorce. He was from a broken home. Now, while a lot of us, if not most of us, are quite accustomed to this, back in the 1950s, this was just not the norm at all. In fact, less than 20% of couples who were married ever got divorced. However, this is the decade that brought in the traditional quote, lawyer capitalizing on divorce scenario. Mostly it was, you know, the woman's job to save the marriage, as in the wife should think long and hard about how she can do things differently to prevent her husband from drinking, abusing, and womanizing, like losing weight, for example. So, 
Being a child with no father around would have made him the center of ridicule. Having to move around a lot can leave a child with no sense of foundation in their life, nothing they can truly take for granted, such as a home that is truly theirs. Being uprooted is also incredibly hard on children who need and thrive in environments where life is predictable and routine is normal. And then, of course, he experienced a lot of physical trauma as a young person, multiple head injuries, a permanently disfigured jaw, missing teeth, hospital stays, and nearly drowning. I mean, can you imagine? The head injuries are the cause of concern with regards to his story, which we will get into. So Bobby was also undiagnosed ADHD or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. This is a mental health disorder that can cause above normal levels of hyperactive and impulsive behaviors. They have trouble focusing their attention on a single task or sitting still for long periods of time. They are often forgetful, are easily distracted, and interrupt people a lot when they're trying to speak, which is part of that impulse control. Research suggests that a reduction of dopamine is a factor in ADHD, which is a chemical that helps move signals from one nerve to another, and it plays a role in triggering emotional responses and movements. But there is some relevance in the suggestion that there is an actual structure difference within the brain. They tend to have less gray matter volume, which helps with speech, self-control, decision-making, and muscle control. So we couple this with the Kleinfelter syndrome, which also affects cognitive and behavioral development, and we get the added benefits of possible slower motor development or delay in speech. There's the risk of social, emotional, and behavioral problems, along with low self-esteem, emotional immaturity, and impulsiveness are also an issue. Joy. And then, of course, the glaringly obvious issues with his mother. Now, sources say that she really did try to be a good mother to him, and of that I have no doubt. There were never any suggestions that she mistreated him in any way. There was no neglect, nothing. She did what she had to, to make enough money to survive and take care of him. The problem was, she also wanted the freedom to go and play and date men, which was within her right to do. But parents sometimes lose sight of the fact that once they become parents, their behaviors affect their children greatly. This is another huge issue when it comes to my own childhood. You see guys, it is vitally important that adolescent boys see their mothers as asexual. According to professor and forensic psychologist Louis Schlesinger, it can have a very unsettling effect psychologically on the child. According to the Scientific American, like it or not, parents shape their children's sexual preferences. They do not determine, that's not what I'm saying, but they do shape, which is different. I will remind you of a term that you should be familiar with, Oedipus complex. In Freudian theory, it is a complex set of emotions aroused in a young child, typically around the age of four, 
by an unconscious sexual desire for the parent of the opposite sex and wish to exclude the parent of the same sex. There is, of course, this unconscious rivalry, if you will, with the same-sex parent or parental figure for the attentions of the opposite-sex parent. In our story, it is a boy who feels he is in constant competition for his mother's attention and affections. They sleep in the same bed as his body begins to sexually awaken and there would be that awkwardness during this time. So this basic developmental system in which certain salient childhood events quote imprint on our psychosexuality are not all that uncommon. Early childhood experiences mold our adult sexual preferences, what turns us on and off, be it something subtle or even unconscious, and we owe our more secret preferences in the bedroom to our becoming aroused by our own parents, relatives, and childhood friends. Now, there was a very interesting study in 1986 published in the periodical Science where they took three female rats, one they coated the tummy where the babies would feed, as well as her genitalia with a lemon citrus scent. The second, they only put the scent on her back, and the third had an odorless saline solution put on her. Then they let their babies feed from them and so on so that they could smell the scent as they nursed. You get the point. Now, once they were weaned, the young rats were, of course, separated from their mothers permanently, and about at 100 days old, the sexually mature rats from those litters were introduced one by one to two sexually mature and receptive female rats. One female just had her natural scent, and the other had been scented with the lemon citrus scent. The outcome of this study was fascinating. All of the male rats were happy to mate with many of the female rats, but the male rats whose mothers had had their nipples and vaginas scented with this lemon citrus scent achieved orgasm significantly faster and actually had trouble achieving orgasm with the non-scented females. This, of course, is not an ethically possible experiment in humans, so take that information as you may. But basically what you have here is a child born with an extra X chromosome and ADHD that affected him in many different and intensely challenging ways. Being raised by a mother who did what she could to raise her son but chose jobs and how she dressed herself and the ever-revolving door of men over, you know, how it would psychologically affect her son. So let's get back into it. At 18 years old, Bobby Joe Long was accused of raping a girl, but was released as there just was not enough evidence. Then in 1972, he enlisted in the army with the goal of being an electrician's assistant and was stationed at Homestead Air Force Base in Homestead, Florida, kind of near Miami. Reportedly, he received seven motor vehicle tickets in one day, but that was only from one source, so I don't know. He did, however, earn his GED while in the Army, and for those that are not familiar, it's just the high school diploma equivalent. But, all in all, life was going fairly smoothly for the young man. In early 1974, Bobby and Cynthia got married, his sweetheart since his early teens. 
he was 21 years old. But then the next month he got into yet another very serious accident while driving his motorcycle and crashed into a moving car. He suffered a very serious head injury, injured shoulders, and he had crushed his leg. The trauma doctors considered actually amputating that leg, but decided against it. Bobby spent several months in the hospital, and while there, he later said that his sex drive increased dramatically. He would insist that Cynthia have sex with him every single time she visited him at the hospital, and the nurses noted that he masturbated four to five times a day, every day. Now, in August, he was medically discharged from the Army due to his injuries from his accident. He and Cynthia went on to have two children together, meaning that his syndrome did not make it impossible for him, obviously, to have children. But the marriage was far from good. He moved his family around Somme to Fort Lauderdale and several other locations until they finally settled down in Hollywood, Florida. His mother and father helped him purchase a house. In 1978, he actually received his associate's degree in X-ray technology from a community college and became an X-ray technician. In an interview for Fox in Tampa Bay, Cynthia described how he became ever increasingly violent. One day in particular, he grabbed her. He began choking her. He slammed her head into a television, knocking her unconscious, and had a nasty cut on her forehead. She said, quote, when I came to, I was on the couch. Of course, he was there crying. I'll never do it again. I'm sorry. Then the next words were, when you drive yourself to get your stitches, if you tell them what really happened, I'll kill you when you get home. Unquote. One beating in particular landed Cynthia into the hospital. And when she got home, she said she loaded a shotgun pointed it at Bobby with the full intention of killing him, but she said she just could not bring herself to do it, which is a decision she later regretted. And keep in mind, their children were witnessing all of this. Now, when Cynthia divorced 27-year-old Bobby Joe Long in 1980, he completely lost it and went into a violent rage, and then he took it out on other women. He also lost his job as an x-ray technician and was forced to move in with an acquaintance named Susan who already had a roommate. Bobby didn't live there long before he moved in with a man named Ted and Susan followed him there. A year later, Susan actually accused Bobby of raping her, but yet again, there just wasn't enough evidence to prosecute him. Not long after, Susan states that he shoved her down a flight of stairs. But it was also during this time that he began a string of rapes in the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area. You see, his already voracious sexual appetite was consuming him. He began using the classified ads in newspapers to find women. He would then arrive at their houses and brutally rape them. For three years, from 1980 to 1983, he did this, and his actions earned him the nickname the classified ad rapist, and his prey of choice was housewives and in the middle of the day. He would threaten them with a knife, tie them up, rape them violently, rob them, and then leave. 
1983, he met a girl named Emma at a hospital where he was able to start working as an x-ray technician again, and she managed to talk him into start going to church. Now, he, of course, spoiled her with jewelry, albeit his victim's jewelry. He then found himself out of yet another job because he had been fired due to him making patients undress when they didn't need to. Then later that same year, he was arrested on assault charges, was found guilty, and spent his time writing many letters to the judge demanding that he be given a new trial, that he had done nothing criminal. But then immediately after, he was charged with sending a highly sexual letter as well as photos to a 12-year-old girl in Tampa. He had also been caught calling this girl. But miraculously, he was given a new trial regarding the assault charges, and he was acquitted. As he walked out of the courtroom, he openly laughed at his victim. It was at this point that he had already purchased a 1979 Maroon Dodge Magnum, which would later be his downfall. And this, of course, would be the gateway to him becoming a serial killer. In March of 1984, Bobby Joe Long picked up a 20-year-old sex worker in Tampa. He raped her, but that wasn't enough to satiate his needs, so he strangled her to death. He then dumped her body where it was found later on Thanksgiving weekend by a couple out walking their dog. There were only skeletal remains left her clothing, and three pieces of rope, which included a leash-type ligature. The next month, in April, he attempted to kidnap a young woman at gunpoint while she was driving her car, but she was able to escape by crashing her car on purpose and running. And then also during the same month, he found out that Emma was seeing another man. He called his mother because he was apparently devastated and told her that there were no good women left in the world anymore. He became deeply depressed over this failed relationship and him not being able to keep a job. Now you and I have no sympathy toward him because his failures were of his own doing, of course. So in May, he drove up next to a 20-year-old young woman who was walking and offered her a ride to which she accepted. He took her to a secluded area. He demanded that she take off her clothes and then he tied her hands behind her back and forced her to face down in the seat. He brutally raped her. He took her out of the car and then he began beating her nearly to the point of death. He then strangled her with a piece of rope and left her body where it lay, but not before he posed her with her legs as spread out as far as he could possibly get them to. She was found over a week later. Ten days after her discovery, he was fired from the next job due to his rude behavior towards other women, the fact that he watched too much pornography and had nude photos in his wallet. His response to that was to murder another 22-year-old sex worker and drug addict. He too forced her to get undressed, he tied her hands behind her, raped her, drug her out of the vehicle, beat her, strangled her to death, as this was quickly becoming his M.O. This particular victim did have her throat slashed several times as well. 
He then hung her bloodied clothes on a nearby tree. This particular victim, the authorities found these red kind of carpet fibers along with human hair, a bare footprint, seminal fluid, and automobile tire tracks. So in June, he murdered a 22-year-old female whom he had picked up while she was walking back to her home. He savagely sodomized her, viciously raped her, except this time he told her to get up, get dressed, and get back to her car. But he decided not to after all because of her constant crying, so he strangled her to death instead. He then dumped her body into some brush, took her ATM card, finding the PIN number in her wallet, and withdrew cash out of her account on several separate occasions. He went on to kill what is thought to be 10 women, all murdered in a similar fashion and dumped in rural areas, posing the bodies. One of his last victims, however, would be his downfall. He spotted a 17-year-old girl riding a bike in northern Tampa. He grabbed her and drug her into his car and then forced her to perform fellatio on him, then took her to his apartment where he repeatedly raped her. Then he had her take a shower with him. He kept her there for over 24 hours and treated her like a sex slave, only she was smart. She almost acted like she could tolerate it. So he stopped calling her bitch and started calling her babe. And then, miraculously, he let her go. He did go on to murder two more women, but the victim he released went to the authorities and gave her statement and description of her kidnapper and rapist, as well as a description of his car. So in November of 1984, while he was at a movie theater not far from his apartment, he was found and arrested. After searching his car, they matched fibers from some of the crime scenes to the red carpet inside of his vehicle, as well as the tires and everything else. The authorities were then able to type match his rare AB blood type and semen to his victims. In 1985, Bobby Joe Long was found guilty of several murders along with several other charges and was sentenced to death along with several life sentences. Bobby did hint at other murders for years after this. In May of 2019, with all of his appeals exhausted, he was put to death by lethal injection. One of his survivors was there to watch as he passed away. So what we have here again is a child from a broken home during a time when that was quite scandalous and a mother who loved her son but was terribly distracted by her own carnal needs and didn't take into account how her behavior would affect him later. Mothers, parents, mothers, please understand something. You may want to dress a certain way and talk a certain way and carry yourself a certain way, but do try to understand that everything you do also affects the psychological situation with your children, okay? She clearly did not take into account how her behavior would affect him later. He was born with an extra X chromosome, which made him develop breasts that he actually had to have several surgeries on, and he was terribly self-conscious about it. He was bullied, 
suffered with learning disabilities and impulse control. He slept in the same bed as his mother till he was 13 years old and while she entertained her guests. And then we have the incredible number of accidents and injuries he endured his entire early and young life the last of which even he knew had altered his thoughts permanently. Violence against women started with his mother that, from my research, did nothing to hold him accountable for his actions. He grew up to physically abuse the love of his life and every action beyond became ever increasingly dangerous until he became a serial killer. So folks, what do you think? Leave me a comment on the video or DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. You can email me at serialkillinginstagram at gmail.com and consider sponsoring, going to my Patreon. And mostly I just want to say thank you so, so much for listening because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me. Thank you so, so much and have a great day.